0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado. And again by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in
0: the corner, gets up, center! Perry! Scores! Corey Perry! Able to shake away from Solani, it's giving away to
1: Alright, we're back, and uh, it's not the post-game show, I guess I guess it is and it isn't. It's a day later, <laughs> and to be fair, I, I had no power, so it was not, <laughs> we, we weren't able to do a show no matter what, and I don't know how many people would have tuned in after last night's game. It, it was um, it, the epitome of, of the Ducks' play over the last three games, three straight regulation losses, a 5-1 loss to the Minnesota Wild last night and just a a poor showing. You know, we, we've said that a lot, but it, it was not a fun game to watch and and one the Ducks really weren't in. No, not at all. I mean, uh, it got out of hand really quickly and I
0: don't think anybody saw anything in the game last night to make you think it wasn't going to go exactly that way. You know, you had kind of... I mean, I know we'll get to this later, but after everything with Enrique, you know, I think people kind of rightfully hoped or expected to see something as far as a little bit of energy or urgency, and it just wasn't there. So, you know, I'm curious to see what this means going forward, because if, you know, Bob Murray's not going to wait on anybody, then he's going to have to start waving a lot of people, so...
1: Yeah, and, and we're not going to touch too long on the game here. I mean, most of the conversation we're going to talk about today is going to revolve around that adam Henrique saga because uh, that's really the the prime news around the Ducks right now. We don't want to be too down on this game because it, it is what it is. It was a, a bad 5-1 loss from the Ducks. Uh, to go into this game, obviously, with adam Henrique going on waivers, he draws out of the lineup. Max Jones slotted in on the top line with Ryan Getzlaff and Troy Terry and... A little bit interesting, Derek Grant comes out, and David Backus slots in as the fourth-line center. I don't think it's interesting, just uh, a bit surprising, I guess, that Derek Grant is the one that keeps coming in and out of the lineup considering how much the Ducks and Dallas Aikens have loved him over the last couple of years. They keep bringing him back, and, and David Backus is the guy who draws in. He gets the only Ducks goal. And I think the most interesting thing about everything there is I feel like this is the first time I'm seeing. It. Maybe I'm wrong here, but David Backus was the assistant captain. Like, he was an alternate captain last night. He wore the A. Like mm-hmm. I don't remember a time where he's done that for Anaheim. Maybe he has. Like I know he's been a leader in the past and he's a, he was a captain with the blues. So like I get it. But it's a it feels like a bit of a statement for the Ducks. Like a guy who barely played last year and is new to this roster. Like, okay, you know, here's the A.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I I think he wore the A his last game in because I remember having the same thought as you, like, oh wow, that's that's really surprising to see. But I think, you know, I think Grant Grant drawing out and Bacchus drawing in. I think it does kind of tie into the Henrik thing where, you know, Bacchus is. Older, he's obviously more of a leader. He's certainly—this is no disrespect to Derek Grant, but like he's just more respected than Derek Grant. You know what I mean? He's gone to the Olympics. He's played—he's uh, played high-level hockey. um You know, so I think it's a little different, and I think it—it uh, it really definitely is a statement thing. I think uh, Derek Grant coming out and back is going in. You know, I think you could look at it outside of everything that happened yesterday as. You know, this is just that fourth line rotation that we've talked about and we've seen a little bit of, but I think it's hard to separate it from the Henrik saga and, you know, putting in someone who is going to play with that effort, going to play with that intensity because, you know, at the end of the day, he's staring down, he's staring down the end of his career. You know, it's, there's a lot of questions about how much longer he's going to be around if any beyond this year. So I, I do think you know it was a little bit of a message to bring him back in and you know get another voice on the bench, especially with Henrique not being there. And Henrique, you know, has certainly been seen as one of the the leaders on the team. Um, so I, I think I think it is an interesting thing, but I do think it makes sense given everything going on and you know who David Backus is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense that that he got the A and according to Dalton in our chat, he's actually been wearing it in in most games he's played and shows you how much I've been paying attention to David Backus. Uh, <laughs> I only really noticed it because he scored the goal. Right, and he's not one of those guys who really shows up on the highlight reel too much, or or you really get like a kind of a zoom in camera shot of him during the game. He's he's not uh, he's not the guy the cameras are looking for. But yeah, it it does make sense, but it also does feel a bit uh, like a statement because you do have Cam Fowler still in the lineup. You do have Silverberg, who have both worn the A in the past. I mean, you have Raquel, who's been here for a very long time as well. Uh, you know, obviously, Getzlaff is always going to be the captain while he's in the lineup, and the Ducks are, are kind of used to rotating that those A's around, especially with Josh Manson whenever he gets back in the lineup, and Hampus Lindholm as well when he gets back into the lineup. But yeah, it, it, it did, it does feel like a, a little bit of a statement this year to give David Back as that, saying, Hey, like the core hasn't shown mm-hmm. up, and, and this guy's a proven leader, so you know, that's that's the route that uh, that we're going to take. and you know, speaking of of Hampus Lindholm being out of the lineup, Josh Maher draws in, which is really nice to see, because I think he, he out of anybody in San Diego outside of really Zigris and in, in Drysdale, I think he's a guy who deserves it, and and even over the last couple of seasons, like every time he's come up to Anaheim, I feel like he's done a good job and and done an, enough to stick around. But you know, whether they were saving him from being exposed to Seattle or not. You know, maybe that that kind of draws into why he hasn't seen as much NHL game time, and maybe why he won't until after this expansion draft. But it, you know, nonetheless, it was nice to see him get in. I thought he got, you know, his, his first goal of the season. It turns out it was it was deflected by David Backus, but still a great play from Josh. And you know, when you look at the Ducks' long term future, I don't think it's Ben Hutton and Jacob Larson on, on the bottom pairing or in the top four. It's likely Josh Mahura. So it's nice to see him get some some game time here.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the Josh Maher thing is really interesting. You know, you could certainly make an argument the, that last year or or the year before um, he maybe should have gotten a little bit more time. But I also think, <sighs> I also think that there's a degree to which this team has fancied itself for good and bad as competitive. And I think you bring in someone like Josh Maher and he's young and he's going to have Uh, you know, just little mistakes in here and there with his game. And, you know, he's not he hasn't played enough NHL games to where you can expect him to not make certain types of mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so I would imagine that's probably why he hasn't gotten as long of a look. But, you know, given where everything's at this year, like there's nothing to lose by bringing him up. You know, like you said, I think the Seattle expansion draft came into that. I think you pointed it out last night that, you know, he's like 25, 26 games short or something, yeah, something like that, hitting his like mark. That, yeah. And so I, I can certainly understand that as far as asset protection. um. But, you know, as far as on on ice stuff, it, it's hard not to think that bringing in someone who hasn't been given the full opportunity to become an NHLer could do a lot of good things, you know, as far as energy and effort uh skill wise you know he certainly I think a lot of us would agree uh has a higher upside than Jacob Larson or Ben Hutton uh so um I don't really think there's any reason not to have him around
1: uh, especially with Lindholm being out yeah so I, I always feel like I'm I'm surprised by these situations and I sit back and I look at how the Ducks have developed not just their defensemen but their prospects in the past and this is just normal right like Shea Theodore had the same treatment Brandon Montour had the same treatment a lot of the Ducks forwards that have come into this roster have had the same treatment where you know come to a Terry Jones steal it's you know a season or two in the AHL a few you know stints here or there 10 or 15 games the next season maybe it's 20 or 30 and then eventually you kind of make your way to the roster and it's just another one of those types of development paths for Josh Mahura. So it's, it, you know, it, I always catch myself being a bit surprised and then you have to sit back and remember, okay, well, this is just kind of how the Ducks do things. And for Josh Mahura too, like his path to, you know, a tenable roster spot is blocked by Hampus Lindholm and Camp Fowler. And for a while as mm-hmm. well, like Josh Manson's in that fold and, and before that it was Shea Theodore as well and Brandon Montour and Sammy Votnin and Kevin Bieksa and the list goes on and now Kevin Shattenkirk's part of that mix as well where, you know Josh Mahara might be better than some of those guys or if you give him some more game time he might prove he's better than some of those guys right. but the amount you're paying those guys those are your top 4 guys you're locked in like there's there's no question when everybody's healthy your top 4 no matter how well they're playing is Cam Fowler Kevin Shanker Campus Lindholm and Josh Manson so you know yes you could probably use Josh Mahara as the bottom pairing defenseman but he also is waiver exempt and he's an easy guy to just keep in San Diego when, if, if you, you know, if you have Ben Hutton and you have Jacob Larson and you have guys who aren't as easy to send down to the taxi squad or send down to, to the AHL and get playing time. He's just in that spot that a lot of Ducks defensemen have been in the past, where he's it, just such an easy roster transaction to make that he can't really find his way into the lineup until some of those guys move on.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think everything you said is exactly right. You know, this is something that we've we've talked about more than a few times as far as the way the Ducks look at their roster and the way that the roster reflects what they consider a game-day lineup to look like. You know, I think Josh Maher has gotten a couple of chances in the years past of being a bottom pair guy um, because Hampus Lindholm and Cam Fowler were both healthy. So it's one of those things that's like, ah, let's bring him in, let's see how he looks or whatever. Um, but I think... In a lot of ways, what you're looking at is, um, you know, you're looking at an organization that just philosophically doesn't want to play guys who it expects to be, you know, above average contributors in, you know, bottom six, fourth line, third pair roles. You know, they just historically have not wanted to do that. I think the one thing that kind of is the exception that proves the rule is Josh Manson, not Josh Manson, is uh, Max Jones you know, he plays that kind of heavy game. And so I think, you know, uh, Eakins is more comfortable and, you know, management is more comfortable playing him down the lineup there. But beyond that, it's really the same kind of guys are playing at the bottom of the lineup every night. You know, they uh, Ben Hutton, uh, Yanni pot, Jacob Larson, you know, you can make an, a pretty easy argument, in my opinion, that, uh, uh, you know, mahura deserves to be up more than larson um but that just doesn't seem to be where they're at and i don't know if that's a reflection of mahura's development or just a a comfort level with larson at this point um you know but i think it's just going to be a little bit of uh, of just kind of seeing what they do and i think until the the organization decides to change the way that it looks at lineup and roster maximization. I think this is a lot of the same stuff we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see guys like Jacob Perot ever come in and be a fourth line guy. Um, that's just not the way that they look at those spots. They don't want to do that. You know, I remember when Bobby Ryan first hit, he played on the line with Marshawn Peros for a little while, But they moved him up pretty quickly just once he had kind of showed that he had gotten the speed of the game. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, like Lindholm getting hurt creates an opportunity in the top four, right? Because Mahura comes in and instead of Larson getting bumped up, he jumps straight over him and now he's paired with Kevin Shattenkirk. And I just think in a lot of ways, that's kind of revealing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it it tells a lot what the organization thinks of Josh Mahura. So if you're sitting here thinking that, oh, they're not playing him because <clears throat> they don't value him and they don't think he's done enough to be – or an NHL player, earn a spot on this roster. The fact that this is his first game of the season, and they said, okay, you're taking Hampus Lindholm's spot behind, b- beside Kevin Shattenkirk. That, I mm-hmm. think, speaks volumes to what the Ducks think they have in Josh Maher. Not to say he's a Hampus Lindholm, but when you compare him to a Ben Hutton and a Jakob Larson and a Yanni Hockenpah, Josh Maher comes in for his first game when these guys have been playing all year and takes a top-four job, right? And yeah, and I, I think. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of factors to why he's still in San Diego, and a lot of it has to do with his contract status and, and the contract status of the guys in front of him and the ease to put him down on waivers and the taxi squad and all that this year that plays into it. He's a guy that when he eventually does break the lineup, the Ducks want to try him as a top-four guy. They would ideally want him to be that guy. Uh, but right now, his only opportunities for that kind of come when guys get injured out of the lineup, and it'll be a kind of a longer process for him where... You know, maybe they end up making a move for Fowler or Lindholm when they feel that he's ready to step into that role. And and it's opportunities like this where I think he took advantage of it last night, where he starts to prove that maybe he can be a guy that can step in and coming at a lot cheaper of a price tag than, let's say, (laughs) Cam Fowler. And and it gives you maybe the flexibility to to pursue that move. But we got to get into what everybody's here for. Everybody's here for the Adam Henrique news that broke yesterday. A bit of a bomb drop. Like nobody really expected this. We heard, you know, we talked about trade rumors uh, a few podcasts ago. Getz laugh and Henrique and John Gibson, and we jokingly said, like, yeah, there's some rumors around Ad- Adam Henrique, but it's the same every year. Like, there's no real sources behind it. It's not like you know, there's there's a lot of meat behind the rumors, and then he gets put on waivers out of nowhere, and kind of expected him not to get claimed and it comes out today that he didn't, but there was a few teams like New Jersey and maybe Minnesota that could have taken a swing on him. But man, like when you saw that drop, like I was shocked. I, I I, not say, I think this was the last guy the ducks would put on waivers, but with that contract and his status as a player and how he played last year, it's a bit of a surprising and weird move organizationally.
0: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when I woke up and saw the news and all that kind of stuff, Like I, I was definitely taken aback. Um, it isn't something I would have expected. I would have expected him to be traded before hitting waivers. Um, you know, and I think to to some degree we can assume that they were trying to move him and couldn't find a taker. And so they figured, well, screw it. If we just sacrifice getting anything back, uh, you know, maybe he, he, he's gone. Um, you know, I think... I think it's a weird thing, right? Because he's a good player with a bad contract on an underperforming team. He's on the wrong side of 30. Like there's all these little pieces to Adam Henrique specifically that I just think make it really interesting. You know, if you want to send, like Bob Murray said, he was trying, he's done being complacent, you know? And this really for me feels like the first time since the Andrew Cogliano trade that he's really actually taken a stick and kind of beat around the inside of the cage a little bit, um, you know, because before that, it's a lot of, you know, margin moves and everybody calls them bargain Bob. And you've got like Yuri Sakach and all that kind of stuff. And it just never really seems to amount to anything. And, you know, when you're when you're targeting those kinds of players, you're not going to get much of a reaction. You know, David Backus said it last night. because, Yeah, I think we can all say that that's safely a wake up call. You know, you go from a guy who was the leading scorer on the team last year to, you know, he gets scratched and then he gets moved to the wing and then his ice time starts to slowly drop and then he's on waivers. And so you're just like, this all kind of escalated so quickly, Um, you know, but I think – to a degree of anyone was going to get waived, he's as good a shot as you're going to have, or sorry, if anyone was going to get claimed on waivers, he's as good a shot as you were going to have. I think you mentioned it yesterday that it's real similar to Tyler Johnson, where as much as the player might be attractive, the contract makes it a little prohibitive and teams aren't going to be excited per se to, you know, just take something off of the Ducks' hands like that for for nothing, you know? Yeah,
1: like, it, uh, it's it's similar to the Tyler Johnson situation because they're, they're kind of the same type of player in production and where they fit in the lineup and where they are in their careers and the length of their term and their contract, but I think – the difference is, is teams just didn't want to help Tampa because Tampa's in a cap crunch. They just won the mm-hmm. Stanley Cup. Nobody wants to do that. I think there was, there probably is generally more interest in, in Adam Henrique based off the season he had last year and the role he played with the Ducks as being one of their top players. But I think the market to take that entire contract clearly is a list of zero right they they couldn't trade him so uh, when you put him on waivers that's like a last ditch say oh can we dump this salary and get rid of it nobody wanted to take the full thing so you put him on waivers you hope that he gets claimed and ultimately most teams will just say well no like there was we're not going to give up an asset for him so i'm not going to take him for nothing and i don't think it closes the door on a potential trade it just means if the ducks want to move him now they're going to have to retain salary which is clearly something they didn't want to do. So whether they keep him and expose him to San Diego and hope that, or not San Diego, to to Seattle and hope that that Seattle takes him, or the situation is untenable now and you have to move him and it's just not a a situation you want to have, especially with the way they're playing right now, and they move him and they eat a bit of that salary. So I, I don't think it means trade rumors are dead and that it's impossible that he gets moved. It just adds this whole new wrinkle where the Ducks now have to go back to discussions they probably already had with general managers and say, Hey, you know, I talked to you the other week and I said, You know, there's no absolutely no way we're going to eat salary on this. Well, here I am. I'm coming back to you. And now we're going to have to eat some salary on this, right? It, it, it's not a good look, I think, for, for Bob Murray when you, it's clear desperation seen around the league. Yeah.
0: You know, and I think there's something to the degree of even. <laughs> Salary is going to be involved one way or the other. The only way that they get out of maybe not having to retain salary is taking back an equally awful contract. Uh, you know, you could see something similar to what happened with the Lucic and Neil swap maybe. Uh, you know, I mean, one, we should mention Adam Henrique has a 10 team no trade list. You know, we already know Columbus is on there from the Patrick Line and Pascal uh, Pierre Luc Dubois. Pascal Dupuis, oh my god. Uh, that's a throwback for sure. Dude, my brain just turned off. Uh, <laughs> but the Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, trade rumors, you know, we know that that's on there, you know. you know. So I wonder if, you know, maybe a team like Buffalo who maybe wouldn't mind having a center is on there. You know, he figures someone like Ottawa is on there, a couple of things like that. But I wonder if, you know, uh, an Erickson for Henrik trade or an Oposo for Henrik trade or something kind of like that it, it is another another direction that they could go. Um, just for the terms of trying to to get him
1: out the door in a lot of ways, you know,
0: we'll have to see.
1: But I think the chat, the um, chat's catering to you now with your, your P.K. I, Schumer, P.K. Subban. I love rumors. It. I love it. Ugh. I want it so bad. What's he gonna do? Be worse than Kevin Shattenkirk? Come on! If if it was if it was Henrique and Shattenkirk for PK Subban, I think Subban has two years left at nine million, mm. so it's not it's bad, but it's not the worst. Like it's not like he has seven years left at that contract. Like if and maybe it's a early to say okay, let's get rid of the Kevin Shattenkirk contract. I think already we all agreed. I think in the off season, like yeah, it was a good signing as is, but it was it was always one year too long with that third year and and probably that's one of the reasons he came to Anaheim is because they said they would give him that third year. And mm. and now it's looking a little bit tough. But it it's not as bad as the Henrique deal and maybe the Silverberg deal and probably the Cam Fowler deal where you're looking at like Three, four. Oh no, definitely
0: the camp Pollard. Yeah. That
1: that deals Whereas you know it's three point nine and somebody somebody would likely take that. I would maybe not this year. And the Ducks are not gonna bail on Shiny this year after just signing him. But potentially next year, potentially as an unrestricted free agent to try and get some assets. Like three point nine, it's not that big of a hit where people are like, Oh god, I can't I can't do that. Like that's right around a a decent price for a you know a second pairing defenseman who can be a specialist yeah. and he'll he'll fit in a team at his age like the Lightning where he's not the go to guy but he wanted to come back to Anna he wanted to come to a place where he could be the go to guy and get that extra year and I don't think I don't think he's that guy so I don't know how we got into Kirk, but with <laughs> with with PK Subban like if you did that deal and it was Henrik and Kirk for PK Subban I'd probably say yes if you're just looking to shed salary. And New Jersey is all aboard that. Then why not, right? You you shed 5.825 for the next three years from Henrik, and you you shed uh, 3.9 million for the next two years after this for Kevin Shattenkirk to take on two years or one more year after this at nine million for PK Subban, right? Like it's not it's not the worst deal. It's the weirdest deal that could probably ever happen, and it would it would confuse a lot of people. But it's not the worst idea ever.
0: It's weird how when you explain it to me it sounds
1: like you like it more than when I explain it to you. Well, cuz I wanted I <laughs> wanted Adam Henrique for Cal Palmieri before he got put on waivers. I said, "Let's go." Like, that is <laughs> that makes sense. I can see why the Ducks could do it cuz you shed the the last few years of Henrique's contract and Palmieri's a UFA, so you know, if you don't want to mm-hmm. keep him, you don't have to. And they get a bona bonafide 20 goal scorer, and look at Paul Mary he comes back this year. He's got I think three goals in his first uh, three games, uh, so he's been good. But there's no way the Devils are, are, are going to move on from him. And and you know I I still I still think if Adam Henry gets moved, that they're probably the most likely option. Obviously, just because their history and the fact they have the most cap space of any team in the league, and that they have 19 million dollars coming off the books at the end of this season, so they're gonna struggle to hit the floor to begin with and not really any contract extensions or big contract extensions coming up in, in you know, the next couple of years. They're going to need a contract mm-hmm. like Adam Henrique's to hit the floor. So I, I still think it's possible. And maybe it's it's the Ducks have to eat a million dollars off that 5.825 to just sweeten the pot enough to get it done. Uh, it's not like that um, that million dollars really saves anything. From the the you know from the New Jersey Devils, but if you're a general manager right now, you know Bob Murray's desperate. You're gonna try and get whatever you can, whether it's a million retained or two million retained or three million retained. We're getting, I think that we can't even retain three million because it's over fifty percent. But yeah, you, yeah. you know what I mean, right? Like a general yeah, manager's absolutely. now, they know he doesn't have a ton of leverage. If they want Adam Henrique, essentially you can just name your price. I'm not gonna get him unless you retain this amount.
0: Yeah. You know, another thing that I think is interesting is I wonder if Adam Henry becomes a candidate for being laundered through another team's cap hit. Um, you know, you've got teams like Detroit or Ottawa who, um, you know, or or like you said, New Jersey, but I kind of am leaving them out of this a little bit just because of uh the direct link as far as wanting the player but you know detroit and ottawa uh, you know you could talk yourself into them being like look you give us a b-level prospect or a second or third round pick we'll eat a million five on that deal and just take the cap hit and then we'll flip him somewhere else down the line yeah you know what i mean kind of like they. i think they did that with
1: ryan reeves or uh uh there's a Bukes few that. GMs Something who, like that. Who, who have done that. And and ultimately, yeah. like, that looks bad on Bob Murray, but he has no choice, right? Like, I I think <clears throat> San Jose I, – I don't know if they did that with Mike Hoffman. I think they might have when Mike Hoffman mm-hmm. got mm-hmm. traded to San Jose for a, for a yeah. little bit re, to retain salary, then, then they flipped him to Florida because he yeah. was at a reduced price and the value was higher. like there that's probably what could happen right if it's if it's a team right. that doesn't need him and it's an it's you know a Detroit who really doesn't care and the market for Adam Henrique at 4 million is probably a lot hotter than the market for Adam right. Henrique at 5.825 million and right. you know Bob Murray could eat that contract and it, it is what it is but you know for Detroit they could then say all right we've got him at 4 we'll just retain another million off that trade amount of $3 million valuation. And all of a sudden his value who skyrocketed because of what he did last year. And he's only making $3 million. Like the, the team that would eventually get him through this weird double retaining salary amount would would be getting a bargain, right? And, and it's happened before. It's not out of the question Absolutely. that it could happen. And if I was a GM right now and I didn't really think I needed Adam Henrique, but I knew that the market for him at almost half his current cap, it would be a lot higher. Why not? Right. Why not give up a B-level prospect and get a a higher draft pick or a a prospect you value more from another team by just flipping him, you know, a a day or two later for, for another player?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, this is I don't know what everybody's experience was like on Twitter yesterday, but there is a couple different versions of the conversation going on with Adam Henrique. Um you know, as far as asset management and uh, <laughs> what this says about Bob Murray and, you know, how do we evaluate the last few years and whether Bob Murray is the worst jam in the world or whatever. And I just think, you know, I think Adam Henry, specifically Adam Henry getting that deal and then having a great year last year and then getting waived, what, 18, 19 games into the season, something like that. Yeah. Um I think it highlights so many different parts of what a lot of us have been frustrated with as far as what the Ducks are doing. You know, it's something me and you have talked about time and time again as far as having one foot in and one foot out. But you... You were pretty big on the
1: the asset management part, so why don't you explain that, and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. All right, sounds good. Yeah, you know, you know what the, the the big thing for me is. We've talked about this before. Is is there's no direction for this team. I think, you know, none of us could could really sit here and and say that we predicted the Ducks would be this bad, but there was it was very likely the Ducks were not going to be a good team this year and last year, probably next year and the contracts extensions for Jacob Silverberg, Adam Henrique at the time when they were made, you just saw this shift in the team that they were going down this route, that they were falling off the cliff and it was time to say okay, you know, we're moving on from these core guys, we're going to start a rebuild and you're going to move Adam Henrique after some some very good seasons before the contract extension as an unrestricted free agent. And get whatever you can for him. Same with Jacob Silverberg. The the problem with me when it becomes poor asset management is Bob Murray has clung to this belief that this team can win with what they have now, and maybe injecting a few young guys and hoping uh, that guys like Raquel and and uh, and others kind of get back to their form. But you're now in a point where you can't move him because you signed him to that contract that made no sense. And and the same eventually could be said for Jakob Silverberg as well, where he has just as much term at almost the same amount as Adam Henrique. And he's struggling this year. You know, there are no suitors for Adam Henrique at that price. And and if you're Bob Murray when you sign him to a five year deal two years ago, you know, I think we all kind of looked and said, Okay, there's a downward trajectory here it's a weird move to lock a guy in for that much for this long. And the big thing for me is, like, if you're not committed to Adam Henrique, then what you should have done is not sign him to a ridiculous contract in the first place or traded him when he was doing well and the team wasn't. When you recognize that downward spiral and not lock a guy in at almost $6 million for five years who's going to be 34 when that contract expires, that's a type of contract you sign – as a very competitive team who needs a player like Adam Henrique. And the Ducks, when that contract was signed, were nowhere near that. And, and I think that's where it gets bad asset management. If the Ducks lose Adam Henrique for nothing, if he gets claimed on waivers, or if they had found a shooter that was willing to take that contract, that move in itself, dumping that cap space where the Ducks are now, perfectly fine with that move. I think it's a good move if they get rid of that contract in that cap space it's the process that led up to it that you could have got assets in the past for him. You didn't sign him to a contract that's now bit you in the ass and you can't get any assets for it and you're now going to have to eat that salary for the next 3 years whatever that amount may be and the return that you're going to get is likely not going to be as much as you would have in the past and you're you're further behind in getting started on rebuild that you could have started a couple seasons ago. That's where the bad asset management comes in for me. Yeah. I, I think for me, I think I understand. and, And,
0: and in a lot of ways agree with everything that you said, I think for me, the thing that, that, um, the thing for me that stands out, and I think I said this on Twitter yesterday, is for me, this highlights more than bad asset management. Because I think, you know, I, I, I do think there's a little bit of in which is that asset management has become a little buzzwordy as far as this this notion that you have to maximize every single thing in transaction that you make, which... I think takes out some of the human elements of this, right? You've got real people on the other end of the phone. You've got real people in the locker room. You've got real people that you're trying to move around, you know, and it's a little bit easier with things like picks or when we reduce players to cap space. Right. Um, But when you just think about the human element, for me, the thing that highlight that is so highlighted here is the, the talent evaluation, you know, like you, I think you said it perfectly, is if Henrik gets the deal he did the same time as Kessler got his deal, it's a very different conversation. It's a very different way to look at it. You're looking at a younger Getzloff. You're looking at a younger team, you know, and, and it fits right that way where you're like, ooh, maybe the last ooh, two years, maybe this team isn't where we want it to be. And so we got to eat a little bit of that money or whatever, and it's not the best. But what we're doing is maximizing our window now. And that's essentially what that trade was, right? You know, they were like, okay, we're going to trade away one of our top four defensemen in Sammy Botnan. We're going to bring in center depth. You know, hopefully, you know, when that trade was made, there was a little bit of hope that maybe Ryan Kessler comes back and now you've got a little bit of a uh, of a hybrid 2-3 center thing and you've still got Getzloff and all this kind of stuff. And we just know that that's never really how it all played out. The, the thing for me is, you know, none of these kids – are stars and if you know Getzloff's getting older and you know these kids aren't going to step into the lineup and be you know high end you know just around star level contributors from the jump um then i think you look at the whole thing and you're like okay we can't sign henrik to that contract but if you look at some of the kids and you go oh no i can see how you know sam still this and then. Troy Terry that, and Max Jones this, and, you know, you start talking yourself into these guys all almost being 40-point players, or 35, 40-point players, then you... That's where you end up signing that Henrique contract and doing a little bit of, uh, you know, devil be damned. Like, we're just going to do it, and we're going to take the hit now.
1: Um, that's, that's where I think Bob Murray, the, the, the lack of direction, and I guess, like, his... Commitment to thinking that this team is better than it is is where we get these this Henrique extension and this Silverberg extension mm-hmm. because you know you can never predict the type of, of season a young player is going to have, right? Like, we all thought Sam Steele would be a little bit more of a point producer. I think a lot of people thought Troy Terry would step in and be a little bit better, that maybe you know Max Jones would have contributed offensively a little bit more than he has, and you know, the, the list can go on there, but. You know, I I think with with Bob Murray that's the thing. He's still trying to save face there. He's still trying to prove that you know he was right and that this team is good enough to compete. And you know he was right to sign that contract. And and you know if his vision came true, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. The Ducks would be a competitive team and a playoff team. We'd be like, okay, it makes sense why they brought Adam Henrique back and they brought Jakob Silverberg back because. You know, look, they're a competitive team and, and they're playing great hockey. And it's easy to look at it now and say, oh, yeah, you failed. It didn't work out. And these contracts suck. But that's the risk you take when, you you, you know, you sign Hadam Henry here to a five-year extension. And you sign Jakob Silverberg to an extension that, you know, you, he took that risk that he thought they'd be a good team and they weren't. And I think a lot of us really expected them not to be. But as an organization, I guess you, you have to be of that mindset at times that you're, you're going to be competitive. And, and in Bob Murray's case, it doesn't feel like he believed truly that this roster was competitive, that he just couldn't afford for them not to be. And signaling a rebuild by moving Adam Henrique and moving Jacob Silverberg was just never in the cards for him. And I, I don't know, whether it's his ego or whatever. I don't think he was ever ready to admit that this team was done and they needed to to pick up and and, and build from scratch. And that's where you get those extensions. It, it, it was done not for a reason of being competitive, but for a reason of just trying to not be bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's a little, you know, like one of the things that you've said, and I know a couple other people have said, is about this idea of if if you weren't committed to Adam Henrique. Then why did you sign the contract? And I and I I think that contract is inherently a commitment. You know, I mean, beyond the very obvious of this is the amount of time and this is the amount of money. Like I, I think signing that contract at that age for him was we think you're going to be a big part of this team continuing to stay relevant. Um but at a certain point, you know, you get to a sunk cost kind of thing. And this is why, as much as I don't know, as much as I can understand people's frustration with how we ended up with putting him on waivers, like you said, if he gets claimed on waivers and we just free up six million dollars in cap space, that puts this team in a huge, uh, at a huge advantage moving forward, especially going into uh, you know the expansion draft, where now wait, maybe the guy that you're hoping gets taken, you don't even have to worry about that, so you can optimize your protection, things like that. You can maybe hope another player gets picked up. Uh, different things like that. You have a little bit more flexibility making trades, bringing guys in, sending guys out, things like that. I think the moment that the Henry and Soferberg and to the same extent, the cam Fowler one were signed, they became immovable and they, they, they just inherently became immovable contracts that the team wasn't going to be able to get out of painlessly. I think to some degree, the biggest issue here is that, like you said, a lot of us kind of saw the direction the team was headed and the fact that a lot of us seem to have had a better appreciation for where the roster was at that the organization didn't is the thing for me that is the most frustrating, right? You know, because as much as like, you know, bad asset management or whatever is like a thing, like... You know, I don't think anybody would say that the Penguins have perfectly managed their assets. No, they've made a lot of trades that for one reason or another aren't necessarily maximizing value. But at the end of the day, they have Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, you know, Jake Gensel, if you want to throw him in there. Like they've got a couple of players and what they're doing is like, we're just going to keep making stuff happen until... Uh, until we hitting it, you know, and they got two cups out of it. And then Rutherford was like, all right, I'm moving Letang. And they said, no. And so, you know, now we've got Ron Hextall and all that kind
1: of stuff. But I just think you can't, you can't have a rebuild there because you can't tear it down in the sense like you're too far in and you've done too many of those trades where you've moved first round picks and moved your top prospects or whatever to bring in guys at the deadline. In, In Pittsburgh, it's, you can't tear it bare bones down to Sid and expect to rebuild in enough time that Crosby is still, you know, a top player in this league. You just don't have the time right. to do so. And and maybe that maybe that's Bob Murray's point. You know, Getzlaff by no means is Sidney Crosby, but maybe in right. his mind uh, it's, you know, we got to try and get the last years out of Getzlaff here because he thinks he can win a cup with Ryan Getzlaff. And, yeah, and I, but, but there's no it, communication, exactly right? Like is. that's the problem. There's no communication. There's no ex- explanation of where we are. This is the direction we're taking. It's just like little quotes here and there. Oh, we're win now, but we're also trying to move core guys, but we're also doing this and we're making these trades and we're trading Brandon Montour and we're trading Andre Kasha and we're signing Adam Henrique and they all kind of point in different directions.
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. I think, you know, the thing for me from an organizational standpoint yesterday that sucks is it, it just really, really highlighted how, how little Bob Murray seems to think of the fan base. You know, he almost seems to treat the fan base with a level of contempt as far as I don't owe you an explanation. And I, and I I can understand that. And I don't think you want your, uh, your general manager operating from a sense of, I need to make sure the fans aren't mad at me because you can, you'll never make good decisions when it's that, when it's coming from that place. But there's a space between not talking and overly freaking out about where you're just like, this is what we're doing. This is what we thought. This is kind of seems to be the reality. You know, we believe in Eakins. We believe in Eakins' ability to bring the kids along. We think some of these kids maybe haven't developed as quickly as we wanted to. But on the same time, some of our veterans have been underperforming. And at this point, you know, we don't feel like we can just wait around. I've waited too long. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to start just making some real changes. And hopefully we can get back sooner than later. But for now, what we're doing is just trying to set ourselves up for the next step. But there's none of that. There's none of that. And to start this season with him going on this huge fucking thing, like, you know, about uh, we're a contender and i'm sick and tired of rebuilding and we belong to the playoffs and then you get the shattenkirk signing and what does shattenkirk say oh well, how'd it go with bob murray And he goes oh well what he said to me is he thought i could be a big part of bringing coming in and helping this team get back into the playoffs and getting out of the bottom of the barrel he's tired of that i don't want to do that yada 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 you know so it's just like okay cool so what you think is that you're either impatient and you just don't feel like waiting or you really have no idea what the roster is. And so, you know, you're not telling anybody where you're coming from. You're not telling anybody what you're really thinking or looking at. And it's just very frustrating because the degree to which so many of these things, mentally and emotionally, for the fan base could be avoided. Uh, really just boils down to Bob Murray having a conversation with the fans, you know, and I'm not saying he needs to do some kind of FDR, you know, Sunday radio chat or some shit like that, but just a press release every now and then that says, this is what we're thinking about. This is yeah. what we're doing. Like and at the end of it, season ridiculous.
1: report where, you know, they do the exit interviews and he talks about where he always kind of brings up his thoughts of the season where we hear those comments on the, the core isn't stepping up or whatever. Right. Like, Mm-hmm. it's been like six years of that crap yeah we, we've seen teams do it in the past the rangers the senators where they're saying okay you know we're moving into a rebuild the kings did it like not every team does it and i'm not saying bob murray owes the fans a response where he says this is the direction of the team but when you're like when you're this bad and you're just kind of desperately grasping at straws to be good again like you, you need to like put something out there whether it's for the players or the fans the coaching staff or whatever we there needs to be a, a certain direction that they're going in. and and it seems like like based off the comments bob murray made a comment that eric stevens put in his article it said adam is not alone in this but i'm tired of talking and waiting we need results and difficult decisions must be made i think we've heard that like seven or eight times over the last couple of seasons in in various forms from bob murray but it's the same quote that we have heard over and over again that we need results, and certain guys need to step up, and difficult decisions need to be made. And then we hear that, and then Montour gets traded, and we hear that, and then Andre Cacci gets traded, and Nick Ritchie gets traded. And it's like, cool, like, you made kind of one move that really didn't define which direction you're going in because it was a hockey trade, and you got a player back, and it wasn't like, you know, you, you know the Andre Cacci one was a bit different because you got a pick and a prospect, and you're, you kind of sit here and think, oh, they're moving into a rebuild. And then they trade Nick Ritchie for Danton Heinen, and it's a lateral move, and as much as I think Danton Heinen has is, is been an asset to this organization, it's like you move from one trade where you trade a young player for a pick and a prospect to another where you trade for you know, a, a player of the same age and, and it kind of just fits into your roster as is. like. It doesn't make a ton of sense. And you look at David Backus' comment last night where he said, like, certainly the cage has been rattled a bit. A message has been sent from above that the status quo is not acceptable. And it's just the same shit we hear over and over again, right? Like, it's it, it truly believes, I think, the message coming from Bob Murray is he thinks his team is a playoff contender. And I don't know if he thinks that. Because he doesn't want to admit they aren't, or he actually believes they are. Like, I have no idea at this point, but I truly believe, based off those comments and the comments last season and the Shattenkirk interview, like you said, he thinks that this team, the way they are, is, is competitive and can be competitive, and there just needs to be accountability, and eventually a switch is going to get turned and they're going to be a good team. But, like, they're just not. Like, at some point, you have to sit back and be like, yeah, we're not good, and we're not going to be good. And trading Adam Henrique or making a one trade here and there is not going to change anything. So commit to rebuilding this and getting to a point where you can be good. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, I you know, the two trades last year, I think I have a slightly different view of than a lot of people. I think, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, the, the Heiden trade has been great for Anaheim. Uh, I know everybody's kind of looking at Nick Ritchie's goal totals over in Boston, but I think what you're looking at is uh, a young player getting a fresh opportunity in a completely different environment. Um, Trevor Zegres is skating with the NHL Ducks this morning, along with Henrique Milano and
1: Lettieri. Oh, boy. I wanted, This is going to get... Yeah, up. we have to get to this. Uh, the, I want to wrap up the Adam Henrique stuff with this. Uh, just a simple question here, like what happens next? Because I think there's only three ways you can go about this. You either keep him on the roster for the, the rest of the year, you hope that he gets taken in the expansion draft, which I think there's a good chance he could because Seattle's going to need to hit the floor somehow. Or you find a trade partner with him and the Ducks retain salary and you know they bite the bullet and say they, they kind of have to, to go that route. Or, like somebody mentioned in the chat here, you buy him out. And the buyout cost for Adam Henrique over that would extend over the next six seasons at just under two million at one point nine four uh, for the next six seasons. So three seasons beyond the length of his contract. It's substantially less, but yeah. you're then carrying that plus some other buyout costs. Plus, you know, like Corey Perry's buyout cost will still extend a little bit into that Adam Henrique buyout. And Ryan Kess was on the LTIR and. You know, it's an option, but if you had to guess, like, what what do you think happens next? What's the end of this Adam Henrique saga?
0: I, I don't know, man. I think, for me, I almost think the most likely thing is when... When waving Adam Henrique doesn't fix something, someone else is gonna get waived. You know, like I, I really am wondering how far away we are from a Raquel trade.
1: Yeah, or you know, uh, you know we're getting one. I, I we're getting I, one this year. It's happening. Like one yeah. of these guys. It, it's become a thing every year. One of these guys gets traded. So it was Richie yeah, and, I, and Montour and Kasha. And who is it this year? Yeah. I, the other thing I think I was thinking about
0: last night. Um, was if we ever get a leak that says the organization has asked Cam Fowler for his four teams, uh, that to me is a sign that everything is falling apart. Because as critical as I have been of Cam Fowler in just about every way, uh, I think he's kind of a bit of a weather vane for where uh, the team thinks it's at. The franchise has remained steadfast in its commitment to him. You know, they are big about putting him in promotional things. They are big about putting him in in uh, interviews and things like that and having him be a part of the the public face of this franchise. And so if we ever get to a point where they're like, all right, man, I got to know which four teams I don't have to ask for, uh, I don't have to run by you, then I think that's where we're really going to uh, start, really start seeing things get a little wild. But I think, to be honest, I... I think gee, I think Bob Murray is gone before Cam Fowler is gone. I think Bob Murray is gone before Jacob Silverberg is gone.
1: Yep. he might be gone you know, before Adam Henrique's gone if he doesn't yeah. if he doesn't get traded or doesn't get picked up in expansion draft. Adam Henrique's contract is longer than Bob Murray's current contract is with the Ducks, so he could out outlast Bob Murray in the Ducks organization. And you know whether it's him who gets traded or whatnot, like Raquel just kind of feels like the obvious one as much as I think he's played well this year and, and just not gotten the results, especially lately, the contract, the extra year left, the past performances, you know, the, the, the luck this year that's gone into him not putting the puck in the back of the net. So many teams are going to look at that and say, yeah, I'm going to take a shot on this guy. And I think if you had to look at who is probably getting the most calls from the Ducks right now, he'd be near the top of that list because of all those factors. So, you know, I, I don't know if Bob Murray's willing to move him, um, but it's speculated that he was part of a deal that could have been for Pierre-Luc Dubois, right, because Adam Henrique wasn't because of the the modified no-trade clause. I think there's at least discussions being had that if it, as always with Bob Murray, if the right deal comes along, it's going to happen. <laughs> and you know, um, whatever that may be that... Uh, that that's going to be the case. Yeah. Um, all right, we got to get to this. We got to get to this Zegra's news because it ties in with our, our last topic of the show here. So the goals had a huge win, seven three victory over Colorado last night. Zegras scored two goals and a nice like beautiful juggling backhand. He bounced it up on the forehand and then batted it out of midair and in backhand into the net. Second goal was just a, a wide open tap into the empty net. Jamie Drysdale had a snipe and an assist last night. And, you know, Zegers has been on and off in terms of point production, but he's still tied for the, the league lead in, in scoring in the AHL. He's got four goals and five assists for nine points in eight games. And all of a sudden, Jamie Drysdale, three goals and five assists, eight points in eight games, Cl- by mile leading AHL defenseman in scoring, second tied for second in just in general scoring among all skaters in the league. As depressing as the Ducks are this year. The, the play this is this is all you could ask for for Zegers and Drysdale in in the AHL this year. We didn't even think Drysdale would be in the AHL. It's 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 lucky and exciting that he is. You can't ask for much more from the top two prospects in your system than what Zegers and Drysdale have done. No, not at all. I think uh,
0: you, you know. I think if nothing else, you look down to what the goals have been doing, and and you're excited. You know. Um, You know, I don't think, you know, like you said, like Zegers' production has been a little bit on and off, and that's kind of to be expected, just because when you have someone who kind of creates offense almost at will, I don't know that the conversion rate is going to be particularly high, especially when you think about... Uh, the AHL and maybe some of the finishing talent down in that league, but you know, Sonny Milano
1: seems to be doing all right. Uh, I think Chase DeLeo is doing pretty good. Yeah, Andrew Podirowski um, had four points last night. Not a guy who's going to ever really scratch the lineup for Anaheim in a significant way, but you got a lot of guys that are playing well down there.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, it, to a degree, it kind of highlights. And again, not not to make it sound like we're a bunch of geniuses because I don't think this is uh, unobvious. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it also highlights the value of bringing in high-end talent to a decent or middling roster and seeing the way that, you know, you can really lift the quality of play of everybody up by having these kinds of difference-making players in the lineup. Um, you know, a guy like Zegris boosts everybody. A guy like Drysdale boosts everybody a little bit. And so I think you know, as, as frustrating and, um, to, uh, to keep, to just keep, kind of keep it going, like depressing that, you know, we can all be about the way that the NHL roster and the ducks and all that is being handled. I think we can look down and see like, these are guys who could, you know, be a big deal. You know, Jacob Perot seems to be, be doing a nice job. Um, you know, Hunter Drew played forward last night for some reason. So, <laughs> you all. know, I, <laughs> Look, man, he's, he's he's the second coming of Dustin Bufflin. That's all I'm saying, um, except probably without the speed or the handles or any of that stuff. Uh, but, you know, I think given how much we're hoping that the, the franchise would start looking forward, I think Ducks fans can look forward and be a little bit excited at some of this. You know, for all the hand-wringing and consternation about what he's doing with the NHL roster, Bob Murray does seem to be... at a good drafter. Now, I don't know how much of that is. Um, was it Mark Madden? Yeah, Martin Madden. Martin Madden. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know how much of that it has to be with him. But if nothing else, you know, Bob Murray seems to at least have an eye for guys who have an eye for talent. So, you know, I, I, there are signs organizationally that there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. The problem I think a lot of us have is whether or not the current management structure is the one who's going to be able to get the most out of it when they come up so
1: yeah i think you bring up a really good point is is outside of zegris and drysdale like yes perot was in the lineup and benway olivier grew as a new addition to the lineup and so is and tracy but when you think of like injecting just like two high level highly skilled players into a roster and what that impact could be without them last year the goals team looks relatively the same like not I, again. I'm not saying that Perot and Gru and Tracy are bad, but they are replacement level players at this point in terms of their production versus what the goals had last year. And the goals started zero and six last year, and they're seven and one this year. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, the two top point producers on this team are Zegers and Drysdale. Yeah. And it—not it, to say that you put Zegers and Dryas still in the NHL and it's going to have the same effect for the Ducks. No, because the goals were still a pretty good team without them. But it shows what injecting that high level of skill into a lineup can do. And you know, will it make the Ducks a competitive team? Bringing up Trevor Zegers right now, no. Will it make them a better team? Uh, I—it's I, hard to argue that it wouldn't. And <laughs> we, we might be—we might be getting our wish here because uh, just when we were recording the show, Nick Albert. Nick Alberga, I think it is, who is uh, works for Sportsnet. He tweeted out kind of a cryptic message, basically that wouldn't be surprised to see Trevor Zegras up with the Ducks as early as this week, and then right after that, Elliot Tifrit tweets out that Trevor Zegras is skating with the Ducks today. D- could mean nothing. Because, be, yeah. you know, it could be he's on the taxi squad and that's all that that's it. And he's just been rewarded for his play last night. and He's skating with the Ducks because Vinny Leterri is also up, which, you know, it, it it doesn't mean a whole lot. But those tweets paired together where it's don't be shocked if the Ducks call up Trevor Zegras this week with now he's skating with the Ducks. All of a sudden that builds the hype up a little bit more. If you get one of those tweets, you're like, oh, OK, but now you get two of them. You're putting the pieces together. Yeah. It, it, if if any time it was possible, and we've talked about it endlessly this year, that you know, okay, this time makes sense for him to get called up. This time makes sense for getting called up. Has a great game last night, on the back of Adam Henry getting waived. Who was a top line left wing on this team right now? Max Jones has to <laughs> slot up there. The Ducks get hammered five one. It is like it, it just feels like the right time, right? It, it for him to slot in there and just be given a shot whether he does well or not, it just feels like the right opportunity for him to be given a shot to produce at the NHL level and, and get that opportunity.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, I, am kind of sitting here galaxy braining myself a little bit because it's Bob Murray and I'm curious, you know, what is the odds or the likelihood that to whatever degree he really just brought him up to, uh, he just brought him up to mess with the rest of the roster or whatever. But you know, I, I, like you said, at this point, there is no damage that is going to come from having these guys up, uh, you know, so just bringing Trevor Zegers up to to be able to, to compete for a spot and maybe inject a little bit of uh, energy and creativity or urgency into the lineup i don't you know i don't think there's a downside like you said the team's not going to get worse because they got brought up so maybe it makes them better and maybe it scares the vets into like figuring it out i don't know there's a mental part of this that we really because we don't know these players you know their makeup we we can't appreciate so I, we could it's a very see a interesting
1: situation. Yeah, we, and we could see a big roster shakeup for the next game coming up here because Milano's back. He's skating with the Ducks. That was part of the tweet from L.A. Tifford as well. And Vinny Letteri is up, and Lettieri has been in the lineup this year, so it's not out of the question that you know he's up skating because the Ducks want to give him another shot. Uh, Derek Grant's been already scratched out. David Backus has been out this year. Max Jones has been out this year. You know, Sam Steele, I think he responded well to the healthy scratch, but it's not out of the question to say he could be out of the lineup. Like, there's only a few guys right now you could say, you know, there's no way they're coming out. And there's no, you know, Adam Henrique might not even draw back in the lineup. Yeah, he's skating with the team, but he might not even draw back in if they're actively trying to trade him or whatnot. So there, there could be a, an opportunity here where all three of these guys who are new and skating with the team in Zucas, Milano, and, and Latari, could all check in for the next game that the Ducks have here. It's not out of the question because I think right now, like, they're just trying to find something that that's gonna work. And clearly putting Adam Henrique on waivers didn't spur this team into a spirited performance because as much as they lost five to one, it looked like a five to one game. Like there's been games yeah. the Ducks have lost and they've lost by a heavy score like four one, but they didn't get a lot of puck luck and the goals that went in were bad and it didn't feel like a 4 1 game. <sighs> Yesterday felt like a 5 1 game. They got outpaced, they got outplayed, they didn't get a lot of scoring chances, they had seven shots on net like through the halfway mark of the game. It's one of those games where like you expected this Adam Henrique on waivers thing, or at least Bob Murray did, to, to really galvanize this team, and it did nothing. So what do you do now? Well, maybe you inject some new guys into the lineup, and maybe you inject your top offensive weapon in the minors into your team and see if that galvanizes guys and gets guys going, especially the guys that end up having to check out to allow Zgris and Milano and Letary to get into the lineup. You, at that point, you're saying, hey, man, you're going to lose your job pretty quickly here. Yeah, And, you know, we waived Adam Henrique. We're not, you know, we're not uh, above waiving you or trading you, right? And that feels like the next step here for Bob Murray is it's like everybody's on notice here. Nobody is, nobody's safe, right? So other than maybe Ryan Getzloff. Yeah, I
0: mean, look, if you, you know, if you ask me at this point in the season who was safe, i say there's three players who are safe. Getzloff, Lindholm, and uh, Gibson. One of those guys is hurt. So at this point, it feels like there are really only two guys who should be considered a lock for the roster every night. As much as I think some of the kids have played well, as much as I think David Backus has been better than we've expected, I don't think anybody on the roster besides those three guys really de- has earned or deserves uh, to just be a lock every night. You know, there's nobody whose name you're writing in in pen. Um, so I think at this point, you know, you can get wild with it. Like, you already did the one crazy thing to signal that everything's all weird now. You, you waved Adam Henrique in the second year of a five-year contract. So, you know, at this point, just do whatever you can do. Go and do whatever you think, you know, uh, what do you call it? You know, just do whatever you think you can do to get a little bit more out of these guys, whether it's for next year, whether it's for this year, whatever. But at a certain point, if you really are, you know, going to be about that action, you got to start making more moves than just waving one guy. So I think you're 100% right. I think we definitely get one or two trades the best way through the year. The question is, is which kind of trades are going to be? You know, are they going to move Dayton Heinen and Sonny Milano again, or are they going to maybe move a
1: Raquel? Are they going to try to see if they can get Henrique or Silverberg out the door? You know, and I think the return it, comes into question there too. It's like if you move Raquel. What are you getting in return? Because I, th- I think that signals a direction as well. Uh, are you getting a you, may, are you making a hockey trade and bringing in you know, a one-for-one one type deal? Are you getting a pick in prospects? If you move in Adam Henrik, what are you trying to get in return? If you move any of these guys, the return signals mm-hmm. a lot, I think, about what Bob Murray's trying to do. But as we've seen in the past, he'll go and make one trade, like the Andre Kasher trade, and get a first-round pick and a prospect. And then go and make another trade and move nick ritchie for another roster for it right like it's not like there is every trade is has the same kind of direction and and meaning behind it so he could move raquel for a first round pick and and a top prospect and then go and move you know danton heinen for another roster player right like it's just yeah it's just the type of of kind of direction that bob murray's been been going in lately it's all over the place
0: Yeah, he's very uh, erratic in his decision-making is, I think, a kind way to put it at this point.
1: Yeah, and and Dalton kind of throwing a bit of water on on the fire here saying the goals don't play till Wednesday, so it would be a total Ducks move to bring him up just to practice for a couple days. (laughs) It would be. It honestly would be.
0: It really, I'm not being funny when I said I'm sitting here galaxy-braining myself. I 100% think that's exactly what it could be. Just throw this kid in there and see if everybody freaks out you know, and see if maybe that really does start to get some of these guys' attentions, because, I, you know, maybe if you're a veteran player, it's one thing or the other, but if you're Sam Steele or Troy Terry or Isaac Lundstrom, and they bring up this other kid who realistically is who you're actually competing with, you know, I, I, that's got to be the thing that gets you a kick in the ass. Whether it's justified or not, you know, um, I, I think everybody should really be should be looking around and being like, yeah, I'm not safe. And so, you know, as much as that could spur the team into a positive kind of output and performance, it's just as likely that it could just make the entire situation worse. So, you know, I, I don't think at this point anything should be ruled out. Uh, and as as nice as it is to know that Zegres is up and skating with the big club, like I, I also
1: think it's just as likely that he still doesn't make his thing until March. Yeah. So yeah, it, it we we won't know, I guess until Wednesday, right? Whether or until the next Ducks game, whether he's uh, when do they play next? Is it tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow against Arizona. So I think I think tomorrow will tell a lot, right? Yeah. If he doesn't play tomorrow, it could just be he's practicing with the team until Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll we'll find out, I guess, tomorrow. And I think this is a perfect segue here into the fan questions because we got a question from Jay Southern in the chat asking why they put uh, Jacob Perot on the taxi squad yesterday. And uh, more than anything, uh, I think it was just a night off for, for Perot. He's been playing most of the games this year. Um, had a pretty good game the night before. The the goals played back to back. So, you know, Perot gets a night off and a few other guys who missed the the game before draw back in. And maybe it's a bit of a reward for Perot. I'm not sure if he got any time to skate with Ducks when he was on the taxi squad. Uh, so that plays into it a little bit. But I, I don't think it means anything that Perot was put on the taxi squad before Zgris or whatever. It was more of just a paper move for, for uh, Anaheim and San Diego to kind of get some guys into the roster and get some guys out. Um, all right, let's move on to the fan questions from Twitter. Dalton asked if you could protect only, if you could only protect one, would you protect steel or Lundestrom in the expansion draft? That's a tough one.
0: Ooh, that's a great
1: question. Because I think if you asked before the beginning of the season, I think everybody or most people would say Sam Steele. B- yeah, but he has struggled a bit lately, and then Lindström was coming into lineup and looked great and kind of gelled on the line with Kamtawin Raquel. So all of a sudden, that becomes a much more interesting conversation to have.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's a closer it's a closer thing than uh, you would have maybe figured it to be. I- <sighs> You know, I, I I've said it before. I'm kind of in the bag for Isaac Lundestrom. I just think he's got a lot of uh, potential as far as the kind of player that he can be. Um, I, I, at this point,
1: as reactionary as it is, I think I would say I would probably protect Lundestrom. Yeah, and, I, mean, uh, I mean, we have a, a full season to to kind of figure this out by the time we get to the expansion draft. But like, like I'll openly admit, like I, I would still take Sam Steele. But it's gotten a lot closer then I would have, Mm -hmm. like, at the beginning of the season, I would have said, without a doubt, Sam Steele. And that's nothing against Isaac Lindström but just the amount of experience that Sam Steele has had and how well he looked over the last couple of years in the progression. But all of a sudden, Lindström comes in and looks good, and, you know, he probably could have had goals in four straight games if he didn't get unlucky in two of them. And he's continued to look pretty good on that line, and, and like, he could be a, a very similar player to Sam Steele, but maybe with a bit more... Flashes of of offense here and there, and I would have never said that when you looked at both these players coming out of the draft that Isaac Lindström has shown more offensive potential this season than Sam Steele has, and then that Sam Steele has maybe been a bit more of a better defensive forward than, than Isaac Lindström. It's complete flip of the script. So, you know, we'll have a full season to to kind of look at both these guys and 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 make a better kind of suggestion on that but it is such a great question right now because i think that that gap has really shrunk to to they're pretty close to each other right now yeah i
0: think the other thing for me um that i've just kind of noticed over the last few games is it feel it feels like lundstrom's gotten bigger you know i i remember when he kind of had that first stint up I think it was two years ago and he was kind of playing on the wing a little bit. He looked like such a small guy, um, you know, that it was really hard to see him being successful through the center. And now, you know, he looks like he's gotten a lot bigger. He looks like he's gotten more uh, confident uh, just, you know, from a natural uh, experience and like aging curve and things like that. So, you know, I, I think there is an argument to be made for both of them, but I would definitely say at this point, um, Lunderstrom is really making a name for uh, making a case for himself that he it should be him over Sam Steele. And random stat: according to Natural Stat Trick, uh, Isaac Lunderstrom is one of only five players above fifty percent in expo, uh, expected goals. And, in the NHL or on the Ducks? On the Ducks. And Sam Steele is uh, so it's Isaac Lunderstrom is fifty point eighty six and Sam Steele is forty seven point twenty seven. But as much as that doesn't matter. Adam Henrique is third at 52-19, so I, I'm i not even sure what's going
1: on. <laughs> Who knows at this point? Um, all right. Oh, boy. We got, a, we got a few more questions, so let's let's buzz through them here. Um, Tabernacle on Twitter said, is it more of the Ducks' ability slash inability to utilize the talent they do have, or is their system of play slash style just off? Then he cites guys like Shay Theater, Kyle Palmieri, Nick Bonino are examples of players that have broken out in other organizations once they've gone to other teams. So is that a result of the Ducks just their inability to really utilize that talent and get the best out of players? Or is it just the fact that these guys have gone off and fit better in the systems that they're playing in?
0: I, I think it's a little, I, I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know, I think the thing to remember about Nick Benino is Nick Benino was kind of he was expected to a degree to kind of take over from Saku Koivu while they were both still there and be a true number two center. He was in the Ryan Kessler trade. And then the two, you know, the one place where he's had a lot of success was in uh, Pittsburgh, where he's behind two hall of fame centers. You know what I mean? It's, he's officially at that point, a third line center. And then he plays with Phil Kessel, who, you know, we know can produce points and he's playing with Carl Hagelin who kind of just does all the other stuff. So, you know, that, that line kind of had a nice bit of balance to it. So I do think it's, it's a little bit of both. I think the Shea Theodore thing is a little unfair just because I don't think anybody didn't think Shea Theodore was good. I think the thing was just where he fit into the depth chart. Um, and you know, we, we can spend 45 minutes going over that whole debacle, but we don't have to, uh, and as far as kyle palmieri they didn't want to pay him his next contract you know i think they kind of expected him to be a little bit better than he was for them maybe not as good as he's been in new jersey but they just didn't want to have that next contract so they moved him out and you know you just kind of take that one on the chin a little bit i guess you know maybe yeah you could say that that's a result of not giving him more opportunities higher up the lineup but i don't think it's a
1: it's a it's a systemic or style of play issue. I think with Palmieri it was bad timing because I think you were starting mm-hmm. to see him kind of turn into the player that he is now, and it just so happened his contract was up right before that, where I think he thought he was worth what he ended up getting in New Jersey, and mm-hmm. the Ducks felt like they hadn't seen enough to really, you know, determine for themselves if that was actually going to be the player he was. I mean, you know, if we had a kept Count Palmieri. Turned into a twenty potential, twenty plus, almost thirty goal scorer every season. Imagine how valuable he would have been on on the Ducks teams that he would have been a part of. Right, like it, it's so it's so easy in hindsight to look at some of these guys that that have gone on and done well. But just for as many as those guys that have gone on and done well, there's guys that have gone on and and, and nothing has happened. Right, like that right. they, they haven't done well, and, and, and some of them aren't even playing. I mean, look at Emerson eat them. Never figured it out. I think his best hockey was in Anaheim, and then when he went somewhere else, it just didn't happen. And and there's a long list of, of players who have also kind of been a part of that. Um, we got a few more questions. We're not gonna be able to get to all of them because we're pushing into an hour twenty here. But Jack asked on Twitter, who do we see get moved before the trade deadline? I'll kind of alter this a bit. If you had to pick one guy, your most likely guy to get traded before the deadline from the Ducks, who is it? I
0: I I think I got to go Raquel at this point. Yeah, I, I just don't know that there's much there's really any other players that have the combination of a potential return and locker room shakeup the way that he does.
1: Yeah, it, and and just like the value of that contract and the player he still is, and I think the the value of of him around the league, I think I think is still pretty high. Like again, we've seen. Uh, Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman, who were the type of players that Tampa Bay needed, and what they gave up to get those types of players who had decent, you know, decent cap hits for more than just mm-hmm. one year, Raquel is better than those guys by a long shot offensively, right? And and there are going to be teams out there who are cap strapped, who are looking to add a player like Ricard Raquel to maybe their top six, maybe even their top nine. And for him to step in and kind of be that guy, and for the fact that they only have to pay him less than $4 million this year and next year, and even if the Ducks ate a little bit of that or took a bad salary back, it's almost a wash for them to bring in Ricard Raquel. I think the value that you can get for him this year is immense compared to what you'll get for him next year as an unrestricted free agent or a pending unrestricted free agent, right, as a rental, Mm -hmm. essentially. If you're going to move Ricard Raquel and you're committed to moving him, it has to be this year. It can't be next year, especially because right. the Ducks aren't good. Like, if the Ducks were good, you could argue, okay, let's keep them and we'll see how this goes because they need him. But they're not good. And if anybody has more value on this team, that's, that's tradable. Because John Gibson has the most value to anybody, but trading him and being able to trade him to a team that needs him and get the certain amount of assets that he would warrant back, there's a small list of teams that could make that work. But for Ricard Raquel, there's a huge list of teams that... Who, are, who could be interested and have enough assets to make it work, where it almost feels like it's inevitable that he is going to be the guy that goes. And it's nothing to do with him and his play or anything. It's just...
0: Well, it's almost a compliment to him, if yeah. I'm
1: being honest. it is. You know?
0: Because I, I, I don't think anybody, you know, like I've said it before, but like I think what we've seen from him is that he's not the lockdown uh the 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 lockdown 30 goal scoring you know play driver that maybe we kind of thought he was at one point but I think he is absolutely a top six wing talent. I think, you know, like you said, even dropping him into a top nine could be a huge boost for a team. You know, it's interesting to me the one team that I think makes the most sense of any is the one team that the trade would have already had to have happened, which is Minnesota. Or uh sorry, uh Pittsburgh. Yeah. But he made the trade with Minnesota for Zucker. And then they decided to keep their pick last year. And then they ended up trading that pick uh, to Toronto, you know. And so, like, I was looking at it, and it's like the Toronto ended up taking Rodion Amarov, which I think would have been a great pick for them. But, like, you also have Dawson Mercer, Braden Schneider, uh, and Hendrix La, Lapierre were all available at 15 in the draft that just happened. And I, I have a hard time wondering, you know, if... If you ask most people, like, would you have rather made that trade and take, you know, Raquel for essentially um, uh, Hendricks Lapierre? Like, I, I would be hard pressed to say that's not a deal worth making, given what we know of Hendricks Lapierre's upside.
1: I, ironically, you know, you brought up the team who I think would almost be the best fit for him, and that could have the most interest in him, and that's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, you know, it's it's no secret uh, that they've been looking for another top nine forward. Uh, Elliot Friedman put out in his 31 Thoughts that it was a mystery forward that the the Maple Leafs were interested in. And then a week later, it came out that it was Mikel Granlin of the Nashville Predators, which, again, it makes sense. Uh, A guy Mm -hmm. who's done a lot better in the past with the Minnesota Wild went to Nashville. just didn't work out. He's a prime bounce back candidate just as much as Ricard Raquel is and, and isn't making an insane amount of money where... The least who are cap strap team can't make it work, and Ricard Raquel kind of fits in that. Like, I can only imagine a player like Ricard Raquel being able to play with John Tavares or Austin Matthews on a line with like Marner or Nylander, right? Like, he just fits, I think, into that team so well. And it just so happens it goes full circle that the trade the Ducks made at the draft way back to get the picks to draft Ricard Raquel and John Gibson would send Mm -hmm. Ricard Raquel eventually back to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I think. You know the Leafs and the Ducks have a history. It it feels like it's a destination that makes sense for me. And the Leafs have assets that you know they they don't necessarily need to have right now. You know they're in such a unique spot I think this year because of the way the divisions are set up Mm -hmm. that they are just torching that Canadian division. And Austin Matthews is on an unbelievable tear. He could score 50 goals in 56 games this year. Like he's already I think at 18 and 17 right now. Yeah, you know, he's almost halfway there to doing that, and he's going to face the Senators and the Canadians and the Canucks and you know the, the Flames and the Oilers a bunch more times this year, and he's going to torch them every time. If this is a year you want to be competitive, if you're the Leafs, this is a year to do it because guess who you're going to play in the first couple of rounds of the playoffs? The Canadian division teams, you got a, yeah. almost a free pass to the Eastern Conference finals. This is the year to, to bank in on a player like Ricard Raquel, because not only do you get him this year, you get him next year, too. Mm-hmm. It, it just it, it makes a lot of sense, and there's players like Sandine and Lily deGran and Rodian Amirov and Nick Robinson, who I think would be great assets to the, to the Ducks' organizational depth chart, along with you know some draft picks from the Leafs as well, just to kind of supplement their own, uh, the, the Ducks' own kind of draft needs as well. So it, it makes sense, right, that, that he could fit there, but there's a ton of teams. The Wild makes sense. The you know the Penguins make sense. There's a ton of teams that would make sense to get Ricard Raquel just because he's a great player on on a very very friendly contract. I mean,
0: hell, everything you said about Toronto. I wonder, given just how good they've been out of the gate, I wonder how much that apl- would apply to Montreal. You know what I yeah. mean? Like they seem to almost comfortably, I'm pretty comfortably, be the second best team in there. And if you know that the thing standing in your way to get out of the division once the playoffs come is basically just is going to be a goal scoring contest with Toronto. Um, I mean, look at how great Tyler Toffoli's looked over there. Why don't, why don't you think you can do the same thing with a player like Ricardo Cal? You know, I, 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 think there's a lot of interesting teams. I think teams like Florida, who maybe are in a, a better position than they should be, just be based on scheduling. You know, adding another player like him to give them some legitimate scoring depth could be huge. You know, uh, Ricard Raquel is probably the best asset the Ducks have at this point, as far as what they can get back for him and their willingness to move on. You know, because I think obviously Gibson and Lindholm are more valuable, and you could probably get more for. But I don't think anybody wants to send those two guys out the door. Except for maybe Lucas Dostal, who wouldn't, wouldn't be bad about John Gibson getting the hell out of Dodge. So,
1: Yeah, he actually got the night off again. The, the other night, Anthony Stollers got in last night and had a pretty good performance. So the Ducks the Ducks look set in, in net for the next uh, next few years, especially if John Gibson is, is still here. Uh, we had a few other fan questions that we don't really have time to get to because we're pushing near an hour and a half here. Uh, but we will get to them. I guess we have a show tomorrow presumably, uh, the post-game yeah, show the uh, after the Arizona Coyotes game. And hopefully we are talking about uh, Trevor Zegras' NHL debut tomorrow because it could be possible. I mean, we need something to talk about because thank God we had Adam, Adam Henrique go on waivers because this show would have been something else if we were just talking about a 5-1 loss to the <laughs> Minnesota Wild. We had Adam Henrique on waivers and then the Ziegler stuff that came out in the middle of the show. So we were saved today. So we need to be saved tomorrow with a, a, hopefully a good performance from the Ducks, but also Trevor Zegers' NHL debut, because we've been all waiting for it.
0: Yeah, 100%. There was a, I think before uh, the Henry trade, there was a very good shot that we were just going to end up playing rock, paper, scissors for an hour on the pod tonight. so <laughs> Or this afternoon or last night or whatever. I don't know. Time's meaningless. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> it's a very weird position, like we've said before. You know, I think there's a lot of things to be excited about and there's a lot of things to be concerned about and there doesn't seem to be much in the middle and that's kind of what we've come to expect from the Ducks at this point is it's either going to be great or it's going to be terrible
1: and we just got to wait and find out so with the kids up though it could be terrible and fun and i think that's yes. the that's the most that important be... part cuz right now it's terrible and not fun like last night <laughs> the last two games were not fun and there was nothing no. good i guess last night like Josh Maher Playing well in his debut was or season debut was nice, uh, but yeah, man. I, I, even if Zegras comes in and, and isn't, you know, hot right off the start, just that being able to watch him play for the Ducks, I think, is enough for some people right now, right? Like that yeah, musty TV every shift that he gets in that game, he can play five minutes, and we're all tuned in for every five minutes of, of you know every second he's on the ice because that's what we need right now. You need something to get the fans excited and and, and to really kind of, I guess even boost the players morale right now to, to get something to to get up about because there really isn't a lot for them to get up about. And clearly the threat of being put on waivers or traded just, it, it doesn't do anything for them right now.
0: No, not at all. I mean, it's, it's hard to fault really the players for just not knowing what to do with everything going on around them. So, all right, cool. you know, Bring it up a guy like Zagris could be nice.
1: So. Quick one here. Tomorrow's game, what what do you think? What's what's the final score? What's the outcome? Ducks versus Coyotes tomorrow at uh, six PM Pacific time. Uh
0: I'm gonna say <laughs> four one
1: Yotes. Four one Yotes. I, I I you know what? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the Ducks squeak out a shootout win. Three two. I'll say they, they oh, come out. Zegra shootout winner out. if he plays, maybe. God, I'd rather just get blown out. Ugh. shootout, <laughs> shootout out win. Stupid. Hey, if if it coincides with a Zegra shootout winner and a good game from him in regulation, I'll take it. Jay Southern said I'll be I, an I'd optimist rather 2-1, Yotes. <laughs> that's, that's optimism I, honestly... right now. I <laughs> Yeah, I would be fine with
0: uh, a, like, 6-5 regulation loss if Trevor Zegers got all five goals. Oh, yeah. uh, but him getting a shootout winner is of absolutely no interest. It's like interest salt to me. in the wound. It's
1: like, oh, yeah, he didn't get any yeah. regulation points, but he got the shootout winner, so we can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. All right, well, yeah, we, stay tuned to us on Twitter to find out who's going to be on the show. We have to figure that out because normally we would have been recording yesterday. Now we've got kind of a back-to-back scenario here, but we should be live. Uh, but, yeah, just stay stay tuned to social, and we'll uh, we'll let you guys know what's going on uh, for post-game tomorrow against the Coyotes. And uh, thanks for joining us today. I know it was a weird time, and noon on a Sunday, but a lot of you guys came out, so we always appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, make sure you guys stay tuned for tomorrow. We'll see you then. Adios.